this is Rhea. And this is Just the Who of Us, where we talk about a range of topics, including life events, current events, spirituality, entertainment, family relationships, as well as answering listener questions and more. Today we have with us Michaela, and she is here to talk about intersectional well-being and how to change your well-being, how to change well-being in ourselves via the workplace. Um I usually talk pretty smoothly, but I don't know what's happening today. I, this, I was reading like reading a card earlier, and I'm just like tripping over myself. Um, <laughs> so I know how that goes. <laughs> so to, you know, I I haven't really done any episodes like this, and so I'm really excited to have you here because it's something that, you know, sometimes I kind of forget because I'm not actively in the workforce, so to say. Um, so I have my own business. Um, I have two businesses of my own. One is mostly this, I'm talking to people. And the other one is a commercial cleaning business. So um, most of my, well, all of my employees currently are my family, <laughs> my teenage mm-hmm. and young adult kids and my husband. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't really think about topics like this because I'm not in the workforce working for someone else, right? And so it's, I'm glad to have this conversation because it's just something that I wouldn't have thought to talk about, but it is a really important topic. Um, So thank you for being here to talk about it with us. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to dig into this. Absolutely. So the main thing that we're going to talk about today um, is what are challenges within the workplace and why is this an issue we need to focus on? Um, we have a couple points we want to touch on, but first I want to ask kind of what kind of got you into, hey, this is something I want to focus on because it's something I'm passionate about and I think other people should hear about it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So uh, for the listeners, hi, my name is Michaela Alt. Um, and what got me into these conversations and doing this work and starting my own business, the Workwell Studio, is I, like many of us, spent about 10 years out of, you know, school, working my way up a ladder, getting into a position that was like the position that, you know, I thought I wanted at 18, 20, whatever the random year was that we have to like make these decisions, Mm -hmm. and got into an organization that in my field is really prestigious and I got there and I was like yes I've made it this is wonderful I now can like spend some time working on like my leadership skills and develop a little bit more and figure out what might come next but I meet that big milestone and I got there and within eight months I was being diagnosed with like long-term diseases I was being diagnosed with like multiple mental physical health issues that I had never dealt with before and I got really sick and it took me a long time to figure out why this was happening um 
you know, and I think this is the classic story. You get to where you want to be at and you look around and you're like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And now I'm not who I was before I got here. And so I got really depressed and spent a lot of time questioning, like, if this is what life is supposed to be like, if this is what I'm supposed to be doing for the next 20 years, why am I here? Like, what is the point? What is the purpose? And we know that a lot of folks are asking those questions. A lot of us have asked those questions, especially over the last four years. And so I came out on the other side of that, determined to help um, make a change in spaces where I could. And so my background is sociology and organizational leadership. And so seeing things through the lens of culture and through the lens of social patterns is how my brain works. And I came out of that fog and was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sit down and we're going to go back to all the research that I've done in previous roles and figure out how to support our leaders and our organizations so that we're not making people sick. Um, and the Workwell Studio was born out of that. And that is the like the origin story for me in this work. Nice. Um Excuse me, sorry. Um, sorry, I completely had a point and it just left my brain. Um, I have like, I'm like textbook ADHD, so I apologize. <laughs> it's like, all good. I've been still working through some of the COVID brain fog, so I get it. Okay, so I think that was one of the things that I was kind of focused, like thinking about mm -hmm. COVID kind of, it, it had kind of two possible reactors, right? You could either kind of be over, overcome with this situation. And for a lot of people, financial difficulty, because a lot of people were out of work. You know, we have customer service-based jobs. We're very interactive and we can't do that when we don't really yeah. know what's going on. So, and then, and then you have the other part who, like we started really reprioritizing our finances focusing on stocks and different long-term things. Cause it was kind of like, Oh, okay, well this could happen again. And then like, we could be stuck. Um, mm -hmm. I've noticed kind of since then this shift in like self-employment. Yeah. Um, a lot of people took a lot of time to reflect on, okay, what can I do through this situation and what can I do so that I don't really have to be in this financial situation again, because of, factors around me that I can't control right mm -hmm. and, and some of these businesses are still customer service based but thanks to online presence you can do a lot of this stuff online now to where you you know if there's another situation or you're sick or you know you can't be around people we can still do these things and be successful yeah. at them um, so that was one thing I noticed that COVID kind of brought you know, if you're looking at it from a perspective of success, it kind of did mm -hmm. bring these new opportunities. Um, and I've seen a lot of people since COVID start their own businesses and, you know, just take control of their life. And and that's not to say that if you still work for someone else, that there's, you know, anything wrong with that. It's perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, it's just one of those things that where we could take our perspective of this thing that happened to us and instead of being completely kind of overtaken by it we can be like okay 
how can I use this to be productive? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of opportunity for learning. Um, and I think we are still coming out of that, but, you know, most notably that end of 21, early 22 time period where there was coming out of lockdowns or whatever your states were in yeah. and seeing organizations, you know, having those two options, just like people, organizations had those two options. Yeah. Do we go back to what we've done before or do we continue to take what has been working over the last six, eight months and continue that way? And a lot of organizations decided to go back to what had been and prioritizing old methods and yeah. old ways of doing work. And to your point, it's creating this chain reaction of like, well, if I'm needing as a person, as a human, if I'm needing something to change in my life and my employer is unwilling to change anything, this workplace right. culture, this dynamic is mm -hmm. no longer what is best for me. And yeah. I need to go make some moves. And so, you know, I think later on in this conversation, we'll get more to like those challenges and issues points like you brought up early on. But like that really is a pivotal moment for us right now when we're looking at the intersection of organizations and people and how that relationship works. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you one question. Um, what is, what can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background in the, oh wait, we kind of already discussed that. <laughs> um So I want to ask you one more question. Are there any challenges or issues within the industry that you believe need more attention? Yeah, I think this piggybacks right off of, you know, what we're just talking about right now. Um, Absolutely. Folks are tired and I'm tired. You're tired. We're tired. And I'm not talking like, oh, let me take a nap or find a right. time to take a nap and come back to this. It's yeah. we're seeing you know, studies and reports are saying you go and you talk to individuals or you go look on social media. Individuals are also saying like all of the data is showing we are experiencing mass fatigue, what we are calling burnout. And so this burnout is looking like people are needing and willing to take multiple days off if they are able, like in between work weeks, because mm -hmm. just from one week to the next, it is so emotionally and mentally exhausting to keep up right now with the pace of the world and everything that is going on as well in our workplaces and so we're looking at this and this is not like this is devoid of like if you have physical illnesses or mental and emotional illnesses this is just our average humans on top of everything else that is going on yeah average health I should say we're tired. And when I know for myself, when I'm experiencing that feeling, that emotional reaction, I don't want to give the limited time and investment that I have into an organization where I don't feel psych psychologically safe, where I don't feel yeah. like there's trust, where I don't feel like I'm getting the same investment back that I'm putting in. And so we're seeing this happen. And the challenge that we're seeing there's a lot of things that experts you know keep bringing to the table and like the most direct through line is 
a lack of strategic vision. And there's two sides of this. So we've got organizations on one hand that are innovating too fast, which means they're taking anything and everything that is coming to them and they're implementing that change very, very quickly. So, mm. you know, there could be new policies, new procedures, new HR benefits rolled out for employees. They're implementing new service delivery models, new products, new platforms, just all very, very, very quickly. And as an employee, we're hesitant to like buy in and invest with that because we've seen it come a hundred times and we've seen it go a hundred right. times. And so the change is just way too much to keep up with. And on the other side of that conversation, we have organizations that are really hesitant to innovate, really hesitant to make a change, really pushing back when their employees come and are like, hey, we're seeing this work at a similar organization and it's, you know, bringing them these benefits. This is something that we would like as part of, you know, our HR packages or what have you. And the response is like, wait, hold on. We have our priorities. We have our plans. We're going to see this through. Yeah. And so then those employees are like, well, you're not going to listen to me and you don't really want to invest in what's going to make, you know, things better. And so on both sides, an inability to innovate or a need to like make changes too quickly comes down to a lack of strategic vision. What are we doing from a visionary standpoint to help grow our organization and grow our people? And what we're seeing the, the response to that, the reality to that is no different than what we as employees are experiencing. Our leaders are tired. They're experiencing, they're humans, they're experiencing the same things we are. And as a result of this mass influx of information and this social reckoning over the last four years and all of these changing priorities and AI and all of these things coming in, it's really difficult to weed through that to figure out what is best to move forward. And right. You have these leaders trying to wrestle with that. And I, this conversation saying we need to, it's our people. It's always been our people. Our, you know, we work with people. Our people are the ones that are driving our organizations forward. Our people are the ones that are, frankly, helping to drive our bottom lines if you're in like the for-profit sector. And when it comes down to how to address this challenge or this issue, our leaders need to have the time and space to take a step back, sit down with experts in this area to think through strategically, how do we create an organization, a workplace that is safe, that has a culture where folks want to be there, know that they can be there and feel empowered to bring themselves in whatever space that looks like to this conversation because otherwise we just continue to drive burnout because there's no investment in our people right right i, I want to point point out something that you know it quality over quantity kind of comes to mind for mm -hmm. one you see let's say fast food mcdonald's bojangles wendy's sure whatever the case may be, fast food, Walmart, even you see, like, there's always people there, right? Mm -hmm. Typically there's always enough people, um, or as what we see being enough people, right? <clears throat> um, and bigger places are able to hire people come and go, you know, it, it seems to me 
I, I haven't worked in fast food. Um, I've worked at Walmart. Um, I've worked in restaurants, um, you know, different capacities. Um, and then I've worked for myself. Yeah. Um, you, you make a point to, which is important for people to know, especially people who own their own business is, and, and even people who don't, because if you're working for someone else, it's important for you to kind of keep that human connection and also mm -hmm. understanding that the owner of this business is a person as well. Right. Yeah. Um, if it's a big corporation, it's a little bit different. Um, and even sometimes food chains, because they can actually be individually owned. That's a whole nother conversation. So, you know, when it comes to workplace culture, it's a very in-depth kind of dynamic. There's a lot of components mm -hmm. of the, the people who are doing the work, who, you know, obviously want to feel important. They want to be able to pay their bills. They want to be feel, they want to feel like they're a priority, even if they're just one of the many, right? Yep. And then you have the person who is actually doing the ownership or the running of the business who I have learned there's a lot of responsibility. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it, it, I know that in some areas, there's an ability to, an easier ability to provide quality over quantity because maybe you don't have to hire as many people, whatever the case may be. And then there's places like fast food or, you know, Walmart or whatever that you see a ton of people, but there are a lot of them mm -hmm. are coming. Um, mm -hmm. It all kind of goes down to how people are being treated on either kind of scale. Um, yep. I could be a smaller business and not need a ton of people, but I have a large rotation because I don't, treat people right um, yep. I could be a bigger business and need a ton of people and I have most of the same people there forever because I treat them right you know it, it yep. just there's a lot that goes into it and <clears throat> and a lot that can affect it um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not going to kind of go any deeper into the complexities because there's different levels yeah. of business management and you know yep. different com you know components and whatnot um financial component mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. but even the financial component as a business owner large or small kind of goes into things how we manage our money yeah. how we're managing how we have those different avenues of income and, and things like that um but regardless whatever you as a business owner or you as an employee have going on in your life you know having compassion for another human mm -hmm. it all kind of comes back to that yeah and that really highlights how like all of these different dimensions of our inner like individual well-being is impacting mm -hmm. everybody else financial well-being is a very you know big thing and yeah. there's a lot of research and a lot of topics around that and it is. It is your financial well-being. It impacts your quality of life. And those things drive how we're able to create community. And to your point, we have a lot of individuals that are able to go out and start their own businesses. And we have, you know, experts in their fields elevating up into management positions and leadership positions. And to your point, at the end of the day, what is the most important thing to remember is that we are all 
humans and we all have different strengths. And so if your area of expertise isn't maybe this aspect of leadership or management, it's really important to know that and be able to do the emotional well-being, yeah. the emotional self-reflection to yeah. say, hey, I need to bring in supports so yeah. that I in myself am not negatively impacting then everybody that works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. My my point of kind of saying all that was to is to lead into uh, is to lead into the focus of intersectional well being. Mm-hmm. So you know, like I said, we know whether we're an employee or whether we're the business owner, we are a human, and we yeah. have different components of our well being. One of my favorite things to talk about on here is the wellness wheel, and. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it applies no matter what degree in a business pertains to Mm -hmm. you or what level you are in a business. Um, tell me a little bit about for, for those who aren't familiar, what exactly is intersectional well-being and how can it be focused? It be a focus on changing workplace relationships. Absolutely. So you mentioned the wellness wheel. Um, there's a few different theories around like the dimensions of wellness. The one that I work from, the theory that helps drive a lot of the work that I do is the eight dimensions of wellness, um, where we're looking at eight dimensions of wellness. So your social, your emotional, your physical, your financial, your spiritual, your intellectual, your environmental, all of these things. And I think I only listed seven, but um, <laughs> you get the point. And the so... Point. <laughs> um, all of these things are are impacted by the society and the systems that we live in. We as individuals really can only be as great for a sustained period of time as the systems that we live in. And for us in the society that we live in here in America and most Western countries, the cultural norms and the societal expectations you can see they are driven back to our workplaces. They are driven back to the organizations that are driving all of the aspects of our society. And I'm not going to take the turn into talking about the political aspect of that, but we know that that is real and that is ever present. But just focusing on the communal aspect and the societal aspect of things, I think there is a piece here that is historical. Um, I shouldn't say I think, we know. The research shows that there is a piece here that is historical. And so going back to how does an intersectional lens of well-being or wellness impact our workspace or how does the workspace impact, you know, vice versa, that symbiotic relationship, there was this image that came out in 1964. It's called the Anger Transference Visual by Richard um, Sergen. And what it is, is basically just shows the emotional transference process. The And I think a lot of us have seen it. The boss in this visual, the boss yells at the employee, and it's the 60s, so they're both men, but the boss yells at the employee. Right. The employee comes home, yells at the wife, the wife yells at the child, the child kicks the dog. This yeah. is not new. This is something that we're very familiar with. I think a lot of us here in America, that's 60 years old. Yeah. That social commentary was 1964. This is not new. 
We've been trying to figure out how to navigate these spaces and it shows the impact that our workplace cultures and norms have on the rest of society. It's teaching us how to engage with our partners. It's Mm -hmm. reinforcing what is okay for us to teach our children and our youth and how to navigate their emotional well-being. And so to your point, as much as like these things impact us financially and in our financial well-being, they impact our emotional, our social, our mental, our spiritual being as well, because that is what we then learn to be okay or our condition to believe is acceptable and I think we take a look at that that's 60 years old now this year and then we take a look at a study that came out in 2023 from UKG that suggests for almost 70 percent of people their manager has more impact on their mental well-being than our therapist doctor and equal to their partner that is a data point that we have seen all over social media all over newspapers over the last you know eight months since it came out spring 2023. And that's showing you that six years later, that reality is still real. And so our well-being is incredibly enmeshed with what is happening in the cultures of our workplaces. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, What is, so the study that you referred to, just for my notes, what is that Mm -hmm. study called? Or do you know what it's called? Um, It's from UKG and my link is not opening right now. Um, but it was focused on how our workplaces like post COVID are still impacting like how we are able to like move through the world. And I can share that link with you um, after this, but it's not opening in my doc for me right now. That's okay. Um, okay. Um, and so then, so kind of, kind of piggybacking off that, um, in what ways do you think work culture has the potential to positively positively impact society. Yeah, absolutely. So when we take all of that into consideration that we just talked about and we add, you know, another piece of information that at least in Western countries, most employees will spend about 9,000 hours of their life at work, which equates to about one third of their lifetime. We're looking at a reality where yes we're seeing a lot of difficulties right now but we're in a moment of change and there to our previous conversation there have been a lot of organizations that have been resistant to change and there are others that are trying to manage their way through it and like change management is really difficult and the change process takes a lot of time and we know that creating anything sustainable is going to take 10 years and in the process all of us are like I don't have the time and energy for this but if we keep working through that change and we keep showing to organizations to leaders that may be more hesitant and resistance to that change that adopting you know a policy or a practice that helps to give folks more ownership over their life back it helps to impact all of the bottom lines so there are a number of studies that show that when we prioritize employee well-being across all of these dimensions we see a decrease in the amount of money that organizations need to put into insurance 
for their teams because you see a decrease in the amount of times that that is used and the severity to which that is used because people are healthier. And I'm not talking physical health. I'm just talking like your quality of life is better. And we know that where there are organizations that have the resources and the privilege to invest in this, we want to be able to engage with them to help show everybody else that may not have those resources right now or those skills. This is what we can do. And so we're right now in the space of like, what is this blueprint? We know kind of what a cultural blueprint, a cultural strategy looked like pre-pandemic. What does it look like right now? And so we're at this space where taking what is happening socially and taking what's happening in the workplace can combine to help us co-create things that are overall better. We're going to see a lot of disruption, but disruption isn't bad and it really is good. And it can disrupt a lot of these things that are, you know, Gen Z, new Gen Z employees coming into the workplace are calling out and rightfully so they're identifying these toxic things that are happening. And for those of us that have become comfortable and complacent with that, life is about growth. And I believe that we should be on an like ever learning journey. And I'm not saying go back to school. Absolutely. I'm not saying right. go back to school. But, like, let's invest in what's going to make, you know, us better and make us, you know, get to the next level of, of our life. And I don't believe the next level of our life is more time in the office. I don't believe that the next level for us as a society is buckling down and putting in more hours, we know that that doesn't work. It hurts people and it's killing people. And so for me, the positive impact is limitless. We just need to be able to get really comfortable being uncomfortable for a while so that we can create some disruption and some new processes. Yeah. I, I just looking, so HBS working knowledge, um, I looked up how long does the average social cultural change take? Mm-hmm. Um, the average is said to be for for a bigger company about three to five years, right? Yep. And it, so imagine for a smaller company, a little bit less time, you have less people involved, less people to affect and, and whatnot. But that just goes to show that it's not an instant thing. It's something mm-hmm. that it takes involvement. It takes consistent change. Um <clears throat> are there any strat- <laughs> are there any strategies or practices <laughs> that our listeners can start and or lead with in whatever roles they hold to to try to reach this common goal within the workplace mm-hmm. absolutely i think there's a few things i want to go back to that point that you brought up real quick of it takes three to five years yeah having done this throughout my career it takes three to five years to stand it up Absolutely. If we're wanting it to be sustainable and like change capable, but not like completely crumble and fall, we need another five years on that. So we really are having to do a mindset change, which comes with any change process of we're looking at something that's not going to happen next quarter. We're looking at something that if you are a large organization, you need to start planning for that now so -hmm. that when you get to the you know, first quarter of 2025, excuse me, you're ready to start implementing some of those things because it's going to take a really long time. And so, um, that, that absolutely. 
And so when we look at the individual aspect, when we look at like, okay, I'm, I'm mid-management, I'm an employee, I find myself now as a new director or executive, what, like, what can I do? And I think, well, we know there are two different answers. So we've spent a lot of time talking about the societal level of this and organizations that is just like these ambiguous beings that exist. Yeah. <laughs> but the leaders, the leaders are the ones then that we are wanting to support to be able to drive the change in a way that works in response to the people that they are working for. Because let's get very, very clear. Our leaders work for the people that they supervise, manage, or lead. And so when we're looking at that, there's an like intersectional leadership coaching is something that is becoming more and more prevalent. We saw a big uptick in executive coaching, looking at how do you, you know, build your presence and drive your goals forward and all of these things. And yet there's this piece kind of coming after that. That's like, okay, how, how do you, how do you lead? <laughs> like right. we're right. people, how right. are you showing up in those spaces mm-hmm. and investing in a leadership coach that can take the time to help you understand you better as a human and your goals, your needs, your values, and then to understand how that intersects with the role that you're currently playing as a leader in your organization to help drive some of those tangible next steps to be able to support your humans is going to be transformative. And I'm not asking people to spend the limited finances that they have right now, which you and I've talked about on something like this. I'm asking the organizations to understand that every single time you promote a expert in the field to a leadership position, they are an expert in their craft. That does not necessarily make them an expert and leader. And I yeah. am not saying that they are not going to be capable. That is a change. You're asking somebody to take on a whole new skill set. And anybody with anything is going to need time to learn that skill set. And you're asking them to do that at a time where the demands on their time exponentially increased because now they're a leader. And so as an organization, to believe in your leader is to put your money where your mouth is. And so start investing in the professional development of your newly promoted leaders through leadership coaching so that they can have the support that they need to learn new skills that they may not have had as an expert in their field because they didn't need that. And they do now. And on the other side, if you are a staff member an employee and you're not finding yourself in a leadership position and you're like how can I navigate through this in a way that isn't going to like make me die inside every day there are resources there are is a growing number of coaches in the field that are interested in effective and non-expensive measures to help you better understand you and we're going back to that wellness wheel, the eight dimensions of wellness or whatever your well-being model is that you adopt for yourself to better understand what that looks like. Um, This is kind of a polite act of resistance. What I'm asking you to do is to resist the idea that our work life needs to be the primary component of what we do every single day. That's not true. And it creates this very significant imbalance. And so working with somebody who can help you understand what it is to live a full life 
for you? What are your goals? What are your passions? What are the things that drive you outside of work can help to mitigate because they can't get rid of because again this is the society that we're living in but it can mitigate the stress and the harm that that creates to make things feel a little bit lighter and this is not a long-term solution and i hesitate to give individuals things that they can do for themselves when we know that these are societal level issues um but there is the individual act of resistance that is really impactful in driving change. And so if that rings true to you, that is, those are wonderful resources. Um, there, again, is a growing number of coaches investing in what that looks like to really support the whole human um, to decrease the harm that is happening right now. Okay. Um, sorry, I got distracted. Somebody came downstairs. Uh, I, where can we? I do have another question as soon as I remember what it was. Uh, but um, let everybody know where we can find you on social media, um, your website, or or any socials that you want to give out. Absolutely. So I have a website um, through the Workwell Studio. It is www.theworkwellstudio.com. Um, so pretty straightforward. Um, I have a LinkedIn. Um, my personal LinkedIn is Michaela Ald. Um, my name will be attached to, you know, this podcast episode. So you can just put that name in there and it'll come right up. Um, or the Workwell Studio also has our own LinkedIn page under the same name, the Workwell Studio. Um, and those are the places right now that we're really driving traffic. Um, and we're really excited to engage with folks. Um, you don't need to like want to work with us to come engage in these conversations that we're having on these platforms um, to, you know, expand the community that is investing in this work. I, so my uh my husband works in telecommunications and he's been with this company i mean since it was literally literally starting up in the the ceo's like den um so he's been with them you know since the very beginning um and pre right before covid um they started doing these kind of exercises. Um, they would have, you know, different people come in and speak. They would also have kind of like fun days. Like they started playing volleyball, like sand volleyball, just different things to, you know, elevate the, the workplace mm -hmm. culture. Um, and I, I thought that was really in interesting because, and even now since I, I've, I've noticed a sense of kind of like family more so mm -hmm. and it's one of the things that that the the owner of this company is really about he's really about family and he wanted to make sure that that his workplace culture was a very comfortable and safe and healthy place um yeah. and I just so I just thought it was really interesting that you know to kind of bring in these activities now I, I you know not everybody maybe can do that um but there's little things. I worked at Food Line. I was a, a deli assistant manager, and uh, at 
you know, the, the store manager at one point, I guess she just kind of noticed she had been there for a little bit. She was kind of new, but you know, she noticed some things and she just started once a week having like a little pizza party in the break room, you know, just celebrating people's birthdays, just little small things that kind of reminded people like, Hey, we, we give a crap about you, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it's just, it, it can be little things, you know, it yep. to improve the workplace culture. It doesn't have to be this big giant. If it's necessary to drastically change things, then yes, but sometimes, and even it can start by these little things to just let people know that, Hey, like you are important to us. We appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it absolutely can be the little things. Um, the little things that are driven by what the employees are stating that they need and want. Right. Um, right. We see the little things implemented very often by like, oh, I as leader think this is what we should do. And it fails because mm -hmm. we didn't engage our employees. And so I think going back to that communal aspect of things is all of us are adults here. Engage all of us. We all need to be a part of these conversations to move this work forward. And so leaders making these decisions by themselves has proven to not be effective to the point of your, you know, your husband's employer. It's something yeah. where they're all engaged. They're all yeah. invested. They're all, you know, I, I can only imagine that if somebody has a new idea, they're able to bring that to the table and say, Hey, yeah. I think this would be really successful. Or, Hey, I know we used to do this every Wednesday afternoon and we're seeing a real decline in people wanting to do that. We should figure out why are we taking time away from what they're like needing to work on before they right. leave that out the door? Yeah. yeah. Or is this just no longer the right fit for this group of staff? Like it needs to be yeah. able to be flexible and it needs to be driven by the voice of the community that is created in that workspace. And so I think that's absolutely true. Yeah. Well, and we know that effective communication involves both parties, right? Yep. So I can't just spew out these ideas myself and say, oh, this is what it has to be effectively communicated to what's beneficial to everyone involved, or mm -hmm. it's not going to be effective. Absolutely. It's a nice gesture, absolutely. but it might not be effective. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> Well, is there anything else that you would like to cover today? No, I, this was an amazing opportunity. Thank you for having me on. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. It is wonderful to talk to people about the work that we're doing. Um, yeah. If you're interested in talking more, reach out to us at the Workwell studio. Um, okay. And we, we would love to continue this conversation. So thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank, thank you for being here and uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. Wonderful. Thank you. Check us out on YouTube at Rhea Hagues, R-E-A-H-H-A-G-U-E-S. You can also keep up with us on Instagram at Just The Who Podcast and Facebook at Philology.